opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind, I'm Brian McCallan. KFSN-TV reports that a new FDA-approved procedure is saving the sight of patients. It's called collagen crosslinking. The procedure can improve the vision of keratoconus patients. Keratoconus causes one's vision to become worse as the cornea gets thinner. One in every 2,000 people in the U.S. alone have this condition. Here to explain the procedure and other future cornea treatments is Dr. Ina Ozerov. Dr. Ozerov specializes in the treatment and diagnosis of surgical and medical corneal diseases at the Miami Eye Institute in Hollywood, Florida. Also joining us is one of Dr. Ozerov's patients, Jesus de Barros. Jesus just had the collagen cross-linking done by Dr. Ozerov, and he's going to tell us how the procedure improved his vision with a speedy recovery. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Dr. Ozerov, tell us a little bit about yourself and your motivation for starting Miami Eye Institute and how you spoke out to make that happen. Um, well, um, I am originally, uh, my family had moved to, to the United States when I was a child uh, from the Ukraine. Um, <laughs> so, um, and I was always, I always had a particular interest in um, helping people, not specifically becoming a doctor, but it's just something that was ingrained in me. And um, eventually, uh, my path uh, led me to becoming a doctor, to becoming a physician. I trained in New York at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. And um, eventually, I made my way down to Miami. And um, I worked in a couple of practices, initially in New York and then in Miami. And then eventually, I decided that it was time for me to branch out and uh, start my own enterprise. And that's how Miami Institute was born. That's fabulous, and you're you're in a good location where there are beautiful beaches. I agree. Asus, <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us a little bit of briefly about what you do for a living and your hobbies and interests? We just want to help the audience just to get to know you a little bit more. All right. Um, I was uh, much like uh, Dr. Azarov. I was born abroad. I um, was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and I moved here when I was a kid. Um, uh, currently, I work as an IT director for a cruise line, and which requires me to be in front of the computer for extended periods of time. Um, about my hobbies, I mean, I enjoy uh, fishing and spending time with the kids, and I'm also currently going to school to achieve my master's, so that's also kind of strenuous. Good luck. Jesus, we'll get to your experience on collagen cross-linking in a little bit, but Dr. Ozerov, let's first learn from you. About collagen cross-linking, what is collagen cross-linking? And Vision Eye Center says that it's this vision-stabilizing procedure, correct? That is correct. Well, first, let's uh, talk about the disease that collagen cross-linking addresses, um, which is called keratoconus. Keratoconus, it's derived from uh, the Greek word kerato, means uh, cornea, and conus means cone. 
This is um, essential and asymmetric uh, bilateral, meaning it can affect both eyes, progressive corneal thinning. In patients where the disease, the disease can present in many forms from mild to moderate to severe, when the disease starts to progress, and in many uh, patients it does, it can uh, greatly affect their vision. Collagen cross-linking is a, is a treatment that's been introduced in Europe. It's uh, probably, uh, it's been around probably for about 20 years now. And this is the only type of treatment that can actually stop the progression of the disease, uh, stop uh, the progression of keratoconus uh, and therefore um, allowing patients to stabilize their vision, in some cases regain their vision, uh, but more importantly, prevent a number of patients from undergoing a corneal transplant. Because if keratoconus continues to progress, one in four patients uh, end up requiring a corneal transplant. So it is a progressive disease. Right. Okay. Now, Jesus, what were the first symptoms that you noticed when you had keratoconus? Well, um, I was driving uh, down the highway and I had to see, um, I was coming up on the exit. And when I looked to the right, to one of the traffic signs, started seeing things a little bit blurry. Um, it was, it was kind of shocking because I've always had perfect vision. And then from one day to the other, it just, I just noticed it. Yeah. In, in speaking to the doctors, it's been something that has been progressively um, coming up. But every every single test I had taken in the past had been coming uh, with perfect vision. So there's something from one day to the other, I guess it got progressively worse. And until one day, I finally noticed that the right eye was not 100%. And so what did you do? So as soon as that happened, I mean, I, I started, I went, I went to see um, quite a few doctors. Um, first, the doctor that I had always been giving me the perfect uh, check, and he recommended I purchase some really expensive uh, glasses. Um, when I did that, the vision, I, I didn't see, uh, it was, I guess, the, the way the disease works, it's, it's uh, once, when the cornea gets to a point, you can't really improve the vision with glasses. You need to have a hard contact lenses so but he still made me purchase those glasses and uh, I couldn't I mean after after getting the glasses I couldn't see what I thought I should be seeing right so I kept my search I went to see a few doctors and at the time this treatment was still in FDA trials and um, I just didn't feel comfortable doing it at the time so I just wore hard contact lenses for for a while until I got to meet Dr. Osirov and you know we got a little bit talking about it was already when I met Dr. Osaroff, it was already FDA approved. And, you know, I had done quite, uh, quite a bit of research to find out that it was safe and that it also what were um, what were the benefits of it and what the expectations should be. We're going to get into the procedure now. Dr. Osaroff, what preliminary steps do patients have to take before having collagen crosslinking done? Well, first and foremost, patients have to be examined and they have to be diagnosed. And this is one of the uh, things that I wanted to address with you, Brian, is that um, even though there's been a lot of talk about keratoconus and collagen crosslinking, uh, many doctors are still unaware that the treatment is available. 
Um, our optometric colleagues, many of them do know about it, but uh, um, sometimes when I do get patients uh, patient referrals, it's a little bit too late, and unfortunately, they're no longer candidates for this procedure. So everything starts with a baseline good exam, uh, making sure that we have the right diagnosis. In terms of the procedure itself, it's something that's done um, in an office setting. A uh, patient doesn't really need to have any special preparation. Um, we schedule them and then they come on the day of the procedure. We do advise that they bring somebody with them. Um, and then the whole process takes uh, about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, once the procedure is done, the patient is, is discharged home with uh, follow-up instructions. And usually we see patients back within four to five days uh, to make sure that the healing is taking place. Uh, properly. And then depending on how the patient is healing, then uh, we devise a follow-up protocol for them. Uh, patients come back anywhere between one week to one month, and uh, then afterwards, maybe three months to six months. Follow-up is required. So the procedure does sound a little simple. I was looking at the ABC station in Fresno, and it says that collagen cross-linking involves virtually removing the cornea's top layer. How does that work? There are two schools of thought on how the procedure should be done. And uh, the protocol that we follow in our office um, is the Dresden protocol. This is the protocol that was uh, the original protocol that was uh, designed when the procedure uh, first came out um, in Germany. Many times I will ask patients if they are aware of the uh, terminology epi on or epi off. Epi essentially refers to epithelium, which is the top layer of the cornea, kind of like the top layer on the skin, that if you scratch it, it hurts. Now, the way the procedure works is that we use uh, riboflavin, a liquid form of riboflavin, uh, which is uh, vitamin B2. We saturate the corneal surface with riboflavin. Uh, once that has been done, then the cornea is exposed to ultraviolet light. Um, in order for riboflavin to penetrate adequately into the corneal tissue, we have to remove the top layer of the cornea uh, to make sure that uh, a patient will get um, adequate treatment. Um, there are practices uh, or studies that are being done um, where they're looking into a treatment where epithelium does not need to be removed. Um, and perhaps um, eventually this is something that we, we will be able to do. Currently, the form of riboflavin that we use requires for the epithelium to be removed um, so that the molecule, that the solution can penetrate well into the tissue. The reason I always have this conversation with the patients is because, as I had mentioned, if you remove the epithelium, um, it's uncomfortable, not during the procedure, but afterwards when the patient is healing. Um, and... Um, we do take measures uh, to try and reduce uh, patient's discomfort, but again, this is something that patient needs to be aware. Um, after that, once the epithelium has been removed, again, the riboflavin gets applied to the corneal surface for approximately 20 minutes or so. And then after that, the uh, cornea is exposed to ultraviolet light. After the treatment is complete, we place a bandage contact lens on the corneal surface to protect the eye um, and allow the eye to heal uh, more comfortably, as well as we uh, put a patient on an antibiotic uh, regimen and have the patient return about four to five days to make sure that they're completely healed. That's good. Hey, Seuss, when you had the collagen cross-linking done, this is from your point of view as the patient. How did Dr. Ozerov 
performed the procedure on you? Did she put you under anesthesia? Did you feel any pain? Anything? Well, um, Dr. Osgrove was great. She actually, um, she explained the procedure really well, and she constantly checked to make sure that if I had any questions, she always, she was always uh, very cordial from that sense. I did have a great understanding of what the procedure was going to be like before I went in. So I had a bit of um, I, I, I premonition to what was to come. Uh, the doctor does give you, um, she makes you comfortable in the environment. Um, so that when you arrive, there's the nerves are a little bit uh, calmer, right? It's always uh, everybody will have a little bit of anxiety when it comes to somebody uh, having a, a knife next to your eye. But um, in the end, she was she was very good in making us uh, comfortable, and you know, we just went through it. Once the um, once that top layer was removed, everything else from that was actually the worst part. Once that was done, everything else was pretty easy, and the recovery. Of course, um, even though it's a little bit bothersome, is not is not too bad. That's good. She must have given you a lot of drops, right? Yes, <laughs> every every minute or so, every couple of minutes, we she was putting on those drops, so they felt really good. Did your vision improve though, or did it stay the same after having the procedure? I know you talked briefly about this. Well, um, one of the things to keep in mind when doing the procedure is that the full recovery time, um, it's uh, over a year. So I don't think we're, we're there yet from the measurements that we've taken initially. Um, I had my eye exam done about uh, three, to three months after we did the procedure, and it looked stable. So we're, the jury's still out on whether it's going to improve or, um, or whether it's going to stabilize and just stay there. From now, from the follow-up visits that I've had with Dr. Osarov, everything is uh, stable, which is the number one thing that you got to look for when you're going in for this procedure. If you, you know, set your expectations low, the best thing that could happen from this procedure is that you're not going to lose that eye. You're not going to have to go through that transplant. If your eye, if your vision gets better, then that is a uh, gravy on top of it, right? Uh, this is just an added benefit. But what we're really looking for with this procedure is to stabilize it so that you prevent further progression from the disease. That's good. Dr. Ozerov, what other future breakthroughs are there for treatment for corneal diseases? Uh, we uh, Well, when we talk about uh, keratoconus specifically, uh, we are actually looking to expand the use of cross-linking um, in uh, those patients. And also uh, for patients with milder uh, keratoconus, for example, um, in the past, these patients um, were um, an absolute contraindication to LASIK or PRK or refractive uh, type of surgery would be keratoconus. Nowadays, with the uh, advent of collagen cross-linking, we're um, starting to offer uh, refractive surgery to those patients, which was not possible before. Um, as um, uh, Jesus had mentioned, um, the primary goal of uh, collagen cross-linking is to stabilize the cornea. And as he had pointed out, uh, the fact that in some patients' vision improves, this is really, this is just a, a great bonus. 
But again, the main goal of the treatment is just to stabilize the uh, cornea and uh, prevent these patients from needing a more aggressive uh, surgery in the future. In terms of other advancements, our technique, our surgical technique is always um, evolving. Those patients who do need to be fitted with uh, contact lenses after the procedure, there's been new contact lenses that are available on the market that can really enhance the quality of vision. And I think Jesus will be able to tell you more about it. We're always searching. We're always looking. We're always searching. We're trying to make the procedure safer, faster, less risky, more comfortable for the patients. Um, so that's our goal. Anything you want to add to this, Jesus? Yeah, I mean, about the contact lenses. When, um, when I was first diagnosed with uh, keratoconus, uh, the first specialist that I went to see fit me with a really tiny uh, hard contact lens that it was very hard to first fit into your eye and then second to kind of keep them in and, and go through the day. They were very uncomfortable. Um, I decided to go to a different specialist and they introduced me to what they call hybrids, which is still the small contact lens, but they have like a soft shell around them, which makes it a lot easier to kind of hold uh, in, in your eye. And that's usually um, from speaking to that doctor, it's uh, kind of like the introduction to those clear lenses. Um, they're they're great for people that are just starting, but they have the downside to them is that the oxygen that can go through them is uh, a lot more limited. So you have to you can only wear them for a certain period of time before you have to kind of take them out, rest your eye for a little bit, or refresh the drops and then put them back in. Um, I I was able to handle those pretty well throughout the day until about seven or eight at night. I then it started to kind of get a little painful, so that's when I have to take them off, refresh, and put them back on. And then lastly is the full scleral lens, which is a full hard contact lens the size of your eye. Those are what I've been wearing over the last uh, three years, and those have been by far the most comfortable ones. I'm able to wear them all day without any problems. All right. And uh, Ryan, what I would like to add also is that um, in patients in whom keratoconus is progressing, even with a relatively well-fitting contact lens, they may become intolerant um, of, you know, of those lenses. So uh, collagen cross-linking, um, the way it works is that um, in many patients, it will actually flatten the cornea um, and therefore it will allow for better fitting contact lenses so patients become much more comfortable afterwards and they do have uh, better visual acuity. Dr. Ozarov, where else is collagen cross-linking performed? I know it's performed at your office in Hollywood, Florida. I know you talked about it coming from Europe, but where else around the world and even in America is collagen cross-linking being performed? There's actually a, um, a number of locations in Miami. Um, patients, um, um, the, inf the information is actually, it is available um, on, on, um, on the internet. Um, there's a couple of offices in Miami. Uh, throughout the country, um, you can, uh, probably in every state now, there is at least a number of, of specialists who are performing this procedure. Interestingly, collagen cross-linking, the United States was the last country to approve this treatment. This treatment has been available pretty much throughout the world uh, for a really long time. Um, so we are kind of the last ones uh, to get this treatment um, 
adopted. And I'm really excited because we can really make a difference um, in patients with uh, keratoconus. So, so if patients are looking to find other locations or closer to where they live, um, they can uh, basically just go online and uh, just uh, search for keratoconus, uh, collagen cross-linking specialist, and um, um, they, they will be able to find a specialist, uh, should be able to find a specialist uh, uh, relatively close to them. Hey, Google is your best friend. Use it. I agree. <laughs> so where else can our listeners learn more about collagen cross-linking and the other new cornea treatments out there? Uh, they can always go to our website. Um, it's www.miamieyesurgeon.com. Uh, we uh, will be more than happy... Um, also to have you listen, listeners call our office if they would require more information. And um, our telephone number is 954-251-1802. I think a really great resource also for patients um, is a website. It's uh, kcglobal.org. kcglobal.org. I think it's a wonderful source of information that talks about keratoconus in general and also other treatments that are becoming available to patients. Um, so this is another resource uh, where I uh, di direct my patients. And we'll be putting that up on the Speaking Out for the Blind website. Um, Dr. Ozarov and Jesus, is there anything else you both would like to add? Um, I would just like to say, first of all, I would like to thank you for inviting me to talk about this um, condition. As I had mentioned earlier, there's a lot more conversation going on about it and a lot, a lot of excitement going on in the um, ophthalmic community. And yet, there's, um, regretfully, I'm still seeing patients when they get referred to me or they find me where the condition is so far advanced that I just wish they would have come sooner uh, because I could have helped them and uh, prevented them from needing um, more invasive procedures. So I just wanted to thank you. And um, it's always good to spread the word and um, educate. Hopefully we'll be able to help more people. You guys are very welcome. And thanks so much for coming to Speaking Out for the Blind and talking about how collagen cross-linking can help improve the vision of patients, especially your guidance as to our listeners can speak out to identify this problem and get the treatment for just not only this, but other vision problems. Thank you so much again for having us on your program. Thank you. You're very welcome. And before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website, that's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout at acbradio.org, and my show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash for dash the dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says Home Speaking Out for the Blind, where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows ranging from episode 94 to the present. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out.
Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. Listen to Eyes on Success for information about products, services, and daily living tips for people with visual impairments. We cover everything from the latest advances in adaptive technology to discussions of various jobs, sports, and hobbies. Eyes on Success is aired on ACB Radio Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern and repeated every two hours until 8 p.m. Thursday. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. We We hope you'll join us. The American Council of the Blind has established the Legacy Society to honor and recognize individuals who have communicated their intentions to include ACB in their estate plans via a bequest or another type of planned gift. We want to acknowledge individuals for including ACB in their will while they are still living so that we can thank them for their commitment to perpetuating ACB's good work for years to come. Says ACB President Kim Charlson, more information about the Legacy Society and how you can help is available from Tom Tobin, Director of Development at ttobin, T-T-O-B-I-N, at acb.org, or by phone at 800-424-8666, option 5. Thank you for listening to ACB Radio and for considering ACB's future financial needs. Hey, Jack, you got a sec? Yeah, sure, come on in. Yeah, I was wondering if you... Jack, your hair's on fire. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I just need to finish this sales report, and then I'll probably, I don't know, let me lie down for a bit. But I'm, I'm sure it'll go away. But the flames are getting bigger. Sh- shouldn't I... Your hair, there's so much fire. No, 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 I'll be fine. What can I help you with? Oh, dear. Well, at least we know the sprinkler system works. You wouldn't ignore this, so why ignore the signs of a stroke? If you or someone you know suddenly experiences numbness of the face, arm, or leg, or sudden trouble speaking, seeing, or walking, don't wait to get help. Call 911 right away, because time lost is brain lost. To find out more, visit www.strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE. This message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. This show on ACB Radio Interactive called The Good Energy Mix, I wonder if that's supposed to help us deal with our utility bills. Tell them not to turn off the power. I need to be on the air. Oh, my God. Or maybe I can get more energy by ordering food from this show. He said he'll take a a roast beef sandwich with horseradish. Yay, we got food! Or maybe it's the energetic music that's being played. Come get energized with me. Want some great tunes and laughter and fun? Well, the show contains all of this plus much more, and you can hear it every Monday morning, beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 
8 a.m. Pacific, you can hear great jazzy tunes, folk music, oldies, and much, much more. So don't miss the Good Energy Mix every Monday with Debbie Hazelton. That's why I'm the woo-woo wacky witch hazel. <laughs> You're listening to American Council for the Blind Radio. What is the blind for the world? 